Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Season 2, Episode 6 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where Cubs, White Sox, and MLB Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I am joined again by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard, who has had a very good week. Pat, how you doing? Nick, I now know what being alive feels like. I'll put it that way. It's been a great week, like you alluded to. Um, White Sox are in first place. I can't ask much more than that. It's been eight years since I've been able to experience anything like this, so... Yeah, this is great. This is this is this is what winning feels like. I don't know. This is new. You you have possibly achieved Southside enlightenment, have you not? It's. I feel. I feel like I'm more connected to the world now. Like things are. I just go with the flow a little bit more zen. I don't know. A losing streak could quickly take that out of me, but hey, for right now, I'll take it. Like a Minnesota Twins-like losing streak, if you will. Oh, God bless them. You know what? You hate to see it, but you love to see it at the same time. Do not play back the tape when we both said they were going to go to the World Series this year. Just nobody (laughs) should pull that up. (laughs) Hey, it's with everybody who has a baseball team making the playoffs, we're not wrong yet. Fair enough. So, in any case, as we alluded to, uh, good week for the White Sox. Cubs, kind of an iffy week, but uh, showed some promise towards the end of it. We'll start the episode like we always do with a weekly recap. Uh, I'll start with the Cubs first so Pat can uh, revel in his glory. Um, starts off with a trip to Detroit, uh, which you'd think would be at least two wins, hope, hoping for three, with a team that struggled like that against the White Sox earlier the week before. Uh, kind of wasn't the case, but on Monday, in any way, uh, it started off with a 9-3 victory. Alec Mills uh, on the bump against uh, first overall pick Casey Myers, who had a, uh, a loss against the White Sox the week before and did not get sent down like the White Sox pitcher did. But he did get uh, beat, beat pretty bad uh, by Alec Mills and company. Alec Mills going seven innings pitched, three earn, and striking out seven. Baez possibly back, who's to say? Two home runs, one in the fourth and one in the ninth. And Bodie with a home run and four RBI. Great game for both the Killer Bees and the Cubs uh, squad. Uh, Tuesday, looking to follow up that momentum against Detroit, not to be a 7-1 to loss at the hands of the, uh, the big kiddies of the Motor City. Uh, Tyler Chatwood goes 1.1 innings, uh, just didn't have it, walked five guys. It became a, pull, a bullpen game. Uh, Spencer Turnbull, on the other hand, really had it working for him, five and two-thirds, no earned. Contreras gets a home run in the ninth to save face, but it is a loss nonetheless, 7-1. to one. Uh, Rubber match against Detroit Wednesday, John Lester on the bump. He goes five innings pitched, one earned, and 5K, uh, but the Cubs... With a 3-1 lead in the sixth, uh, gave up five runs as soon as Lester was taken out of the game. Two from Wick, three from Tapera, and then Colin Ray uh, gives up one in the seventh. Uh, the Cubs did mount a comeback, though, uh, putting up three runs in the ninth inning, but they came up just short with a line out to the pitcher to end the game by Javier Baez. Um, so the Cubs fall 7-6 to six in a one-run loss and lose the series. That one-run loss will be a theme for this week. Uh, day off Thursday, Friday, Cincinnati Reds. Uh, 
Starts off with a 6-5 to five loss, another tough one. Hendricks goes six innings pitch, gives up all uh, or five of those six runs and gets six strikeouts, so pretty uncharacteristic. Down 6-2 in the ninth. Hayward hits a three-run homer to make it 6-5, to five, and the Cubs would come up short again in the ninth. It's okay. We move on to Saturday. It is a doubleheader. The ace and probably one of the top National League uh, Cy Young candidates alongside Max Fried, Yu Darvish uh, takes the mound and gets takes care of business in the seventh run of, seven run affair with a three nothing win. He pitches six of those seven, gives up no earned runs and strikes out eight. Anthony Rizzo hits two home runs, um, and this would be a theme of the next game possibly, but a three nothing win. They look to get the doubleheader sweep in game two. Um, Alec Mills back on the mound again. He went three innings pitch, gives up four runs. Uh, so they are down four to one in the third. But a comeback gets them a 5-4 lead at the hands of Hap, Bodie, and Horner RBI. So into the seventh, a save situation for their expensive closer, Craig Kimbrell. And this is how it goes. Walk, strikeout, wild pitch, walk. Single scores two to tie it. Another wild pitch. A walk, a strikeout, and a wild pitch scores the winning run. Very tough to see. Another 6-5 loss at the hands of it. the first official blown save. Oh, not blown save, but the first loss at the hand of, of Craig Kimball on the season. So it's up to Sunday to even the series up against the Reds after, um, you know, after losing two of three in that two-game span. Uh, we have Chatwood on the mound again against Castillo for the Reds. A pretty horrible matchup for the Cubs, uh, if history says anything. Chatwood goes two and a third. Uh, in the third inning, he spiked a ball probably about six or seven feet before home plate, and before the ball even hit the catcher's mitt on the bounce, he was calling for the trainers to come get him. Turns out to be a forearm strain, and he was put on the IL. Uh, but that didn't matter. Um, in the long run because the Cubs would take the 10-1 to victory to even up the series. Ian Happ with two home runs. Um, let's see, Jason Hayward with two home runs and Kyle Schwarber with two home runs. This was the first time ever that the uh, all starting outfielders in MLB history both hit two, home, all three hit two home runs. So it's good to make some uh, MLB history, get the 10-1 victory, and uh, come out with an even series split against the Reds. I want to take it back to game two of the doubleheader the night before, though. I uh, got a little testy after Anthony Rizzo hits two home runs in the earlier game and then gets the ball thrown at his head um, in the later game, just barely missing. He ducked just in time. Gets David Bodie ejected for arguing about it, and then the uh, later, and then of course in the next inning, uh, Joey Votto gets his head thrown at, and bench is clear, and yelling happens. Nothing really happens. Joey Votto gets tossed. Reds manager gets tossed. It seems like two or three times a year we're talking about this stupidity, but in any case, that's how that shook up. Um, so it was nice to get that 10-1 victory after all that went down. Uh, so Cubs have a pretty middling week. Uh, nothing in comparison to the White Sox. See, I'm going to push back on you there. I don't know, like, with Anthony Rizzo, what kind of monster hits two home runs in a game? Like, that's just horrible behavior. Yeah, I mean, honestly. There's no place one, for that in the game. Why? If you get one, why are you even trying for a second? You, you get one bat on the shoulder, you take your pitch every time. That's it. That's how you're supposed to play the game. Yeah. Uh, honestly, but go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, I think I ran the course on that joke, but that was just a whole, that was a weird situation. 
Yeah, I um actually didn't catch the game, so I, I caught the highlights and everything like that, and I'm just like, what is... I mean, I feel like... I don't... I don't think I've seen, at least with the Joe Madden era and definitely not with the David Ross era, the Cubs haven't done that to a team. They've always uh, retaliated, which is not good either. But I haven't seen them, uh, you know, like Goldschmidt hits like five home runs a series against the Cubs, and they've never like intentionally beamed Goldschmidt, you know what I'm saying, like for hitting home runs. I've, I've, they, they, they will hit people back, but they never, I don't know what it is about the Cubs. They just, they don't initiate, but they always seem to be on the, the uh, the painful end of it, at least the start of it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I, that, whenever I see that, I always think back to when Ozzie Guillen uh, puts Sean Tracy in there and, like, this was probably 06 to go hit a batter. And instead, it, I think he struck him out, and then Ozzie pulled him out of the game right after and was, like, screaming at him for not hitting him. Guy never played again in the majors. So, uh, cautionary tale then about depending on the type of manager you're playing with. Yeah, that was a season one LinkedIn player profile, it was. if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, so it all comes back. So, Pat, well, enough about the Cubs' uh, kind of meh week. Let's hear it. How did the White Sox do this week? Well, um, I'll hold you in suspense for the next couple of minutes. But uh, anyways, let's start ahead. Let's start off on Monday. They had an off day. The long trek down from Wrigley Field to Guaranteed Rate Field to face the Pirates, where they opened the series Tuesday night, a 4 nothing win, where something else that was pretty cool happened. Um before that, I'll talk about how the White Sox got their four runs, though. Adam Engel had an RBI ground out in the second, which was followed up by Tim Anderson and Aloy RBI singles. Uh, McCann then finished the scoring with a sacrifice fly in the third. Luis Robert had three hits, so a pretty good game for him. Uh, of course, Tuesday night was Lucas Giolito's no-hitter, where he was absolutely dominant the whole night. Obviously, he gave up no hits. Unfortunately, one walk. Um, and struck out 13 on 101 pitches, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, nothing the Pirates could do from start to finish, and I don't want to hear about, oh, the Pirates aren't good, they don't have averages. It's still, you're no-hitting a professional baseball team, which is really damn hard to do, and no one else has done it to the Pirates. So I'm uh, not going to get caught up on that. Obviously, we have a segment about Player of the Week, and I have a strong hunch we'll be talking about this game more during that segment, so I'll leave it at that. Wednesday, the closing game of the series against the Pirates, the White Sox won a convincing 10-3 victory. Um, they struck first with four runs in the second inning, led by a Luis Robert sacrifice fly, a Nomar Mazzara RBI single, and a two-run homer from Danny Mendick filling in for the then-injured Nick Madrigal. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion followed all that up with a moonshot that looked like it might get all the way onto the fundamentals deck, which unfortunately it just missed uh, for the, his fifth homer of the year. Um, Eloy and Jose Abreu hit home runs later in the game to get the Sox to, do their, to double figures, and Dallas Keigel had a really good outing on the mound, six innings, two earned, seven strikeouts, and four hits, which is just unacceptable uh, following up Lucas Giolito's no-hitter. So, uh, tough day for Keigel, but he at least squeaked out a win with that uh, two-earned run performance. Thursday, we had an off day bookending the Pittsburgh series before we uh, welcomed our uh, favorite rival, the Kansas City Royals, home for a three-game set for the weekend. Friday was a close one, um, back-and-forth game that felt like a game the White Sox should lose and in previous years would lose every single time. Um, if you can't tell by my voice, this year's team is a little bit different, so I'll go through the game. Luis Robert gave the Sox a one nothing lead in the second with his eighth homer of the year, which the Royals then came back with two off of uh, Reynaldo Lopez, um, mainly off of a Whit Merrifield home run. Uh, Sox got the lead back with a two-run homer in the fifth inning from Eloy Jimenez, uh, which Nomar Mazar then extended when he came on as a pinch hitter and worked a beautiful nine-pitch 
at bat for a walk against Jesse Hahn. Take that symbolism for whatever you will. Um, Soler then took Matt Foster deep later in the game to tie it. Uh, Yoan then one-upped that with a bases-loaded single to score Eloy. However, in the ninth, uh, things started to fall apart in a very typical late-inning White Sox fashion. Uh, Michael Franco looked like he got undercut, drifting too far from first after a single, so they threw back to first. Abreu had the ball and couldn't chase him down in time at second, so then from sitting down, threw the ball home. Grandal wasn't looking at the ball, uh, and Colome was not backing him up, so the ball went through his legs. Bubba Starling scored, and the Royals took the lead, and I was convinced the game was over then. I'm sorry, the Royals tied it then, and I was convinced, well, this reminds me of that game against the Mets however many years ago where it's a pop-up that Gordon Beckham drops and Hawk like screams like, you have got to be kidding me every time Steve Stone tries to say anything and then just doesn't talk for the bottom of the inning. Um, it was kind of like that. Fantastic. I love that call. It was It was just like, I just love how it's like every time Steve Stone starts to talk, it's, you've got to be kidding me, and then just does not talk the bottom of the inning. Well, that's like, that's when Steve Stone thinks he has a bad day yeah. working with with Benetti, and then he goes home and just plays yeah. that clip. He goes, no, I, st- I have it good now. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, anywho, I digest. Um, bottom of the inning, Yasmani Grandal came up and played the hero, walking it off with a home run in his first at-bat, a no-doubt shot to the Goose Island seats, and I believe the first walk-off winner for the White Sox of the season, so that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Saturday was not as good of a game for the White Sox. It was a 9-6 loss. Uh, Looked to be a pretty good pitching matchup between Dylan Cease and Brady Singer, who's the number 62 overall prospect in baseball. Early on, it did live up to that pitcher's duel billing with the only early runs coming on an Alex Gordon homer in the second and a Nick Madrigal RBI single uh, that amazingly got down with an exit velocity of 53.3 miles an hour. Uh, which is the most Nick Madrigal RBI single of all time. I think it had the second lowest exit velocity of any hit ball the entire game. So I don't know how it worked, but it worked. Um, unfortunately, after that, well, no, actually, I, I'll stop that. We had one more positive moment in the game. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion gave the Sox a 3-1 lead with a homer in the fourth, but after that, it was all Royals. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn hit a homer in the sixth, and then in the seventh, it really unra- unraveled with the Royals scoring five off of Zach Birdie. Um, including a back-breaking three-run home run from Michael Franco. In the ninth, the Sox put up a fight, which was good to see. Tim Anderson drove in Luis Robert on a double, and Yoan Moncada got to second after scoring on an error by Ian Kennedy that ultimately resulted in both Kennedy and Moncada leaving the game hurt. Um, Jesse Hahn then came in, again, more irony, take it how you will, uh, struck out Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu, I think, on six pitches to end the game, so it was just... Looked like we had life. Ricky Boos boys don't quit all that, and then game over. So you're going to lose a couple games. People were freaking out, but you lose two games in a two-week span. I'll take it. Uh, Sunday, the rubber match, this was the important one, and the White Sox pulled it off, beating the Royals 5-2. to uh, Dane Dunning was back from Schaumburg and after enjoying a nice little vacation there, getting his second career start, and he did not disappoint uh, five innings of no-hit ball, only walking one and striking out seven. Uh, he was through 79 pitches, so kind of on a pitch count after having Tommy John last year, so not really surprised they pulled him. Um, Sox took an early lead with a Nick Madrigal RBI single in the second and a James McCann RBI double in the third. Uh, Royals came back after that with Whit Merrifield leaving the way with an RBI in the sixth and a homer off Steve Ciszek to tie it at two in the eighth. Um, in regulation, the Sox couldn't get it done, so we went to extras, which looked like a bad situation because 
Jesus Christ, Adalberto Mondesi, uh, led off the inning at second for the Royals and for some reason was given the steal sign with no outs and was thrown out stealing third. So now the Royals have one out, nobody on. I don't know why Mike Matheny would ever do that, but Mike Matheny is going to Mike Matheny, so it happened. Sox got out of the inning unscathed. In the 10th, the Sox uh, pinch ran new addition Jared Dyson for Yasmani Grandal at second. The Royals then intentionally walked Jose Abreu to put the another like run at first with no outs, so I don't, I don't know. Um, in any event, uh, J- James McCann struck out before Luis Robert ended the game with a homer to left, a, basically an all-arm home run that he put over the fence, giving the White Sox the win. Uh, overall, they finished the week at 4-1, and one, up to 21-13 and 13 on the year, which tied them for first place with Cleveland at the end of the week in position for the third playoff spot in the American League. So like you said, hell of a week. Uh, 4-1 and one after an, another one-loss week. You can't really beat that in a two-week span in a 60-game season. All right, a few things, and then I was going to save this question for the end, but I can't wait that long. I'll start with this, though. Obviously, this is the greatest pitching uh, performance of Lucas Giolito's career There's so far. There's no, there's no arguing nope. that. Is this the best baseball game that McCann has ever played? Because Giolito said he only shook him off one time the entire game. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be. I think, like, that's... It's crazy how like that game cemented it, where people went from, well, McCann's nice, but we're not gonna, you know, be able to keep him. We have Yasmani Grandal. Now everybody's like, you gotta pay James McCann whatever he wants. Like he has to be here. Yeah. I like he's I don't. Catcher to the ace. Yeah, exactly. Ace. You, it's not like he's personal catching like the fifth starter. Like this is this is your guy. You're gonna keep him around. Hey, maybe who knows? He ends up pulling a David Ross and is managing the White Sox in a handful of years. But yeah, he. I think he kind of proved his value there because it's kind of a question of how much is the personal catcher worth, and, I mean, you got your answer on Tuesday night. Yeah, and it's pretty often that the personal catcher can't do anything with the bat, and that's just not the case with McCann. Nope. Nope. Uh, But this is the question I really meant to ask, and this might take some thinking. With 13 strikeouts and only one walk, is this the best pitching performance in White Sox history? I know there's perfect games in there or at least a perfect game with Burley. And a also only one runner allowed and picked off no hitter yep. for Burley. But so I, the, I might make that argument this is the best pitching performance in, in team history. That I've seen, it has to be up there. I guess before 94, I don't know, you know a whole lot about more individual games. But, I mean, comparing it to the big games you've seen in the last, I don't know, let's go 15 years, you have Mark Burley's no-hitter in 07 where he struck out like six and walked a guy. So same thing as Giolito. So Giolito beats that. He had the perfect game, which, I mean, yeah, the wise catch had a lot to do with that. But I think he struck out eight in that game. I think it was eight, eight or nine, um, which you could argue it either way. But I think the 13 strikeouts from Giolito has to make a conversation there. And then you have Phil Umber's perfect game where I believe he struck out nine. I mean, then you could say whatever you want about that last out. Uh, I think it was Brendan Ryan. Definitely check swinging. Uh, to end the game. And the only other one that comes to mind for me is like that run in, I think it was 2015, where Chris Sale struck out like 10 guys in like seven or eight straight starts. And there were a couple in there where he was like pretty close to getting no hitters, if I remember correctly. But honestly, I don't remember a better game than that in my in my like viewing memory. And it, it's weird to say, like you said, with two perfect games in there, but this was just a whole other level of domination against a team that, albeit not great, looked completely lost from start to finish. Yeah, I've seen on the Cubs end, obviously the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game is the best, but there was a, a hit in that game 
And then you look at the Zambrano no-hitter, the two Jake Arrieta no-hitters, and a bunch of those Kyle Hendricks starts where they gave up one or two hits and only had 86 pitches. But it's still the 20-strikeout game and no walks that I everyone deems to yeah. be one of the best pitching performances of all time. So I don't think – I mean, getting a no-hitter and walking one guy as opposed to the perfect game, I think that's almost like it's so close to a wash. And then when you have like four or five more strikeouts, I think you have to give the nod to the better game yeah. to Giolito. Well, and the fact that it was only – I think – well, I'll talk more in my player of the week uh, segment, but he only threw 101 pitches, striking out 13, which is just ridiculous. That's like that insane. is, it, like the efficiency of that is is in, it's incredible. It's yeah, not like Edwin Jackson with his 150 pitch no hitter about 10 years ago. Yeah, but that that performance got him a four year, 52 million dollar deal with the Cubs. So very true. So Giolito might be asking for some coin pretty soon. <laughs> Uh, but you uh, you just mentioned it pretty quickly. I'll start with player of the week uh, for the Cubs. A lot of choices um, because of the number of home runs, despite the uh, despite the not so great uh, weekly outcome for for the games. But I'm going with Jason Hayward. Uh, he batted in his, his last seven games 417. He's got he had three homers and four RBI. And for a guy who I mean, two of those came in one game um, for the home runs, for a guy who's not expected to do that. Uh, he did that. He also had four walks, and he's been obviously great in the field. Uh, Ian Happ had a little bit, like a 421 average, um, but didn't walk as much. Struck out a couple more times. Um, but Jason Hayward, he is hitting like a like a like a the baseball player we thought when we signed him for that huge deal. So I, for a team that's down offensively, to have a guy like Hayward come up and he's really just squaring up balls. I, I'm going to give him the nod this week. Obviously, you could give it to you, Darvish, every week, but uh, let's you know it's nice to change it up a little bit. But uh, that's uh, that's my player of the week, Jason Hayward. Congratulations. And, Pat, obviously we were just talking about it now. Who do we got? Yeah, so uh, not much of a discussion on this one. I think, like, one of the rules – there aren't many rules when picking player of the week, but one of them is you throw a no-hitter or a perfect game, you're player of the week. Like, I mean, that's just the rule. I don't care if you come back out the next time around and give up, like, 17 runs in one-third of an inning. Like, you're the player of the week. It's very simple. Uh, like I had said earlier, Giolito, 13 strikeouts, one walk, which was to Eric Gonzalez to lead off the fourth. So just looking at the numbers a little bit from this one, like I said, 101 pitches, which is just crazy efficiency. 85%, so I think 86 of those pitches were fastball changeup. Like, that's it. Fastball changeup, there were 16 sliders, and those are the only pitches he threw the entire night. That led to 30 whiffs, and 54% of all swings from Pirates batters were whiffs. Like, that's, that's just insane. I don't care how bad the Pirates' offense is. Like, you can't really, like, th- that. you're doing that to a team that is played to play, paid to play Major League Baseball, which is incredible. And, you know, Giolito had that shaky start against the Twins earlier in the season. But as of Saturday morning, which was before his start yesterday when we were, re- uh, were recording on Tuesday, uh, he was tied for third in war among starting pitchers in all of baseball, only behind... Uh, Shane Bieber and Jake DeGrom, and then he's tied with Max Fried, Yu Darvish, and Sonny Gray. So he's cementing himself as a top pitcher in the league with one of the more impressive performances of any team, honestly, in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, I also don't buy into the argument that it's, you know, oh, it was the Pirates. Like, right now, as we record, the Cubs are up 6-5 to five on that same Pirates team, so they can play. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, if you look at the teams that, like, get no hit, quite often it's like the Rays which are a good team it just happens to them a lot uh, the Red Sox got no hit by Mania like a year and a half ago um, they were they won the World Series that year yeah. and they, they still got no hit I mean the uh, Jake's one of Jake's uh, Arietta's no hitters was against the Dodgers so it's like 
it can happen on any you know on any day. It doesn't matter. You still have to get everybody out. Yep. So I I don't buy into that argument whatsoever. But yeah, I mean Giolito looked great. Um, he's still going to just keep flying under the radar, which is which is fine by White Sox fans, I guess. But hey, I, you'd yeah. love to see it. I'll take it. I mean, yeah, just one of those games probably, like, if there's going to be the handful of games to define this season that I'll remember, that's easily going to be one of them, which is funny because I remember watching it. I'm sitting on my couch, and then they flash the scoreboard as it goes into the sixth inning, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, he is a no-hitter. Like, I didn't even realize it. I'm just sitting there watching, like, what? which reminds me of a similar experience a few years ago in Milwaukee. I was up there for a game Memorial Day weekend, and me and my friends were getting ready to leave, and then we're like, wait, like, I forget who the pitcher was, but, like, it's the eighth inning, and he is a no-hitter. So sat back down and he gave up a hit immediately. So then we left, but kind of one of those things where you didn't really realize it. And then you started paying attention near the end. And now it's, it's this memorable performance. That's probably going to be one of the top games of the year. So can't complain. Absolutely. Okay. Um, moving on MLB talk, but mostly it'll still be Cubs and Sox talk. We had the trade deadline. We'll start with MLB uh, as a whole, probably the biggest deal from this, this trade deadline. And it seems like everything, every trade came down to the wire was the trade the Padres made to get uh, Clevenger from the Indians, a team who is in the meat of a playoff hunt. There was rumors that the Sox were interested, but I, the price tag must have been far too high to give it to a contending team, a first-place team, if you will, in the same division. Um, so the uh, the Padres gave up uh, quite a few prospects um, and got Clevenger, who had some issues with his teammates and uh, broke protocol for COVID and so what do you think of that deal? It's probably pretty nice to get him out of the division, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, obviously, like you, you hinted at the rumors the White Sox were going after him. But like you said, like I saw some people when they saw the Padres Hall be like, oh, the White Sox should have been able to match that. But like the Indians are not going to give the White Sox, who are leading them in their division, the same price as they are giving the Padres. Like that's not real. Um, but in any it was a, that's, I mean, that's a huge trade. Great to ca- have him out of the division. Uh, bigger thing for me is though Cleveland always seems to pick these starting pitchers out of nowhere that end up becoming dominant, like C, Shane Bieber, or Zach Plezak. So I don't know. They're probably going to find somebody else from Double A to come up and pitch. But it, that was a. I guess I'm not surprised, like you said, there were the off the field issues. But that was. I, I guess if you would have told me like three days before the deadline he was getting trade, I wouldn't have bought it. I would have put my money on Lance Lynn, and he's still a Texas Ranger for some reason. I don't really know why, but he is. Yeah, so a few things. Clevenger, I always kind of suspected was an asshole. I don't know, maybe just <laughs> looking at him. He's friends with and Trevor then, Bauer, so that might be it. That's got to be. That's part of it, right? But here's the thing. Okay, he broke the rules. He lied to his team. And then a bunch of his teammates reportedly said, if you reinstate him, we're opting out for the season. And that's more than just COVID concern. That's I fucking hate this Yep. Guy. Oh, yeah. You, there's no coming back from that. He's a California kid, so he gets to go play home at Sandy in San Diego. I don't know who he rooted for growing up, but California is so big. But it's home, whatever it is. So he's out of the organization. Um, he's out of the division for the White Sox. But, yeah, there's definitely an asshole factor there that definitely oh, yeah. made made a play. No one wanted him back. And even and he's your second-best pitcher, arguably one of your best, even though Bieber, you know, Bieber has clearly cemented himself as the ace of the rotation. And still your teammates who are in the middle of a playoff race in a very important season for some of the, uh, the young players to prove themselves, say, nah, we're good, we don't want him. Yep, which is That's nuts really, because, like, yeah. yeah. Their really whole tough. strength is their pitching. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And it's also crazy to think that in the last year the – Indians, or yeah, last year they've traded away Mike Levenger, Corey Kluber, and uh, Trevor Bauer and have gotten not much of impact back in return so far. 
Like unless you count yeah. like Delino to Shields, but I don't I don't know. That's not really yeah. not filling the void there. And my second point, someone needs to get Lance Lynn out of Texas because he is too big and too hairy to be pitching it's at 115 dang- degrees. Dangerous. It's dangerous out there. And also, he's probably put on like 80 pounds in the last like three years. Yeah, I. It's insane. I I was gonna say I remember when I saw a picture of him like this week with the beard, and I'm like, this is I did not think this is what Lance Lynn looked like. He just looks so uncomfortable. Like just. <laughs> he would have been a lot more comfortable at 35th and Shields, but alas. You know what? I think that's one of those deals that like looks good because he's pitching well yeah. right now. But like in a year, oh, I don't know how much time he has left on his deal. But in any case, like it's just I didn't see that being a good trade pickup. I don't know. I mean, it I mean, all depends on what you give up. You ha- yeah, it's what you give up, and it's better than what you have. I mean, Gio Gonzalez is hurt again. I think yeah. so. Yep. It would have been nice to add some depth, but I didn't think that was the depth that uh, puts the White Sox on yeah. the top. Yeah, I mean, that was my thing. I obviously would have loved Lance Lynn because I think a rotation going into a playoff series where you have this offense that is just murdering people left and right with Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, and Lance Lynn leading the way would be really freaking scary. Um, obviously, Mike Clevenger would have been great too, but I didn't see that happening. But I just wanted somebody like, I don't know, Robbie Ray, uh, Cobb. There's a bunch of names out there that got traded. I mean, the Blue Jays got three freaking starting pitchers to shore up their rotation. Even beyond that, bullpen helped you something. I wanted something. I was refreshing Twitter for like an hour and a half at the end of the deadline, basically nonstop, and we get nothing. So, disappointing. Yeah, it kind of stinks to be left out when like there's other exciting things happening in the league. And speaking of which, the Cubs did some pretty cool things, if you ask me, based on their situation. I'm pulling up who they uh, acquired. So, they got Jose Martinez, former Cardinal from the Rays, for uh, two players to be named later. So, um, that could be interesting, depending on who they have to give up. We won't really know. Uh, they shirt up the bullpen a little bit, too. Got two lefties in former White Sox, jo- uh, Josh Osich, or Osick. Yep. I'm not sure how he goes by. Uh, and then Andrew Chafin, who uh, from the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks were big sellers. Um, so, they got some lefties that they need. They sent down uh, Casey Sadler. Um, and they also acquired Cameron Mabin uh, for Zach Short, one of Ian Happ's good buddies. But in any case, a bunch of players to be named later, um, four to be exact, and they uh, kind of sure up the outfield, get a great DH in Martinez. He's a really streaky hitter, but, man, can he He got some pop. Um, but in doing so, we kind of crowded the outfield, so someone had to go, and shockingly enough, uh, we probably saw this coming, but Albert Almora Jr. gets optioned to... Um, the taxi squad. Uh, so it's pretty shocking considering former uh, first uh, first round pick, uh, big big part of the World Series team, and just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Just too many mistakes and not enough uh, not enough to come back to to keep your spot. Losing it to Cameron Mabin and Martinez. I know it's kind of crazy. Yeah, would not have seen that coming in the year. But I guess you know you have Ian Happ playing like an MVP out there, so take some of the some of the blow away. Yeah, and I'll be the first to admit I was a big Hap hater, and I thought he would just be should be just playing second base, so Almora can play center every day. And I think Almora does need to have everyday reps in order to actually meet his potential, if that's with the Cubs or with somebody else. But I mean, Hap has been making plays out there uh, in center field, and you know, too bad, man. I mean, it sucks, but he, we were all saying Albert Almora every damn day. This was a couple of years ago, and now we're saying no thanks on Albert. You know, it's crazy. We'll get his reps in South Bend. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I could see a couple. I mean, I, I could see him getting traded or, or I don't know, 
Depends on how the offseason looks. Obviously, yeah. they couldn't tra- they didn't trade him this year. But in any case, Cubs made some good moves. I'm happy with it. Uh, they weren't gonna. There was only like one or two blockbuster moves, and I didn't think the Cubs were gonna be part of it. So um, they're still in first place. They're you know destined to for a you know playoff bid. So it's good to have guys like Maven and Martinez on, uh, coming off the bench um, to sure things up. And I do want to fact check myself. I said the White Sox did absolutely nothing, which is not true. Uh, Rick Hahn, in a savvy mood, move, added the veteran pinch runner defensive specialist, Jared Dyson. Big move, uh, shoring up that fifth outfield spot. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about the deadline. There was only one team that brought in a 2019 gold glove second baseman, and that was the Chicago White Sox bringing back Yolmer Sanchez. So we did not do nothing. We did something, which is, you know, participation trophy. Are you saying that no one signed Darwin Barney, second placement, <laughs> gold glover? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Believe it. You know, maybe the taxi squad is a spot. Yeah, possibly. Defense okay. travels. It certainly does. All right, so that's uh, MLB news. The deadline's always fun. It's always it's more fun to be a part of it. But in any case, we will move on to our favorite segment of the week. And this one is uh, a very refreshing week, if I if I can you know allude to what we have coming. Uh, but anyway, LinkedIn player profile is where we go through the career of an old Cub, an old White Sox, using LinkedIn as a primary source to see what they are up to now. Maybe it'll invoke some fun or painful memories, depending on how you look at it. So, uh, Pat, I'm going to go first this week, uh, but is with a player who was a former Cub, but also a former White Sox, and was pretty fucking terrible for both of them. If uh, any of you remember the name Chris Volstad, uh, Chris Volstad was a 2005 first pick, uh, first round pick by the, at the time, Florida Marlins, the 16th overall pick. He spent uh, his career with the Marlins for three years, a year with the Cubs, then to the Colorado Rockies, a stint in the KBO for the Doosan Bears, uh, 2015 with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then two years, which is shocking enough, with the White Sox in 2017 and 2018. Uh, his career stat line, not great, 37 and 58 with a 5 e- even uh, ERA. He's a 2.1 pitcher, um, 772 innings pitched and 481 strikeouts a little bit about his tenure with the cubs not great i'll just read the two sentences uh on january 5th 2012 the marlins traded him to the chicago cubs for who else but carlos zambrano on may 18th and this was ozzy's team that he went to so even better right and on may 18th 2012 volstead was sent to triple a after an 0-6 slump to start the season with the cubs on July 3rd, 2012, Volstad was called back up uh, to the Cubs. He made a start later that day, giving up six runs over 4.1 innings and getting the loss to the Atlanta Braves, never to pitch in the pinstripes again. So 0-7 for his career with the Cubs. Obviously, baseball wasn't his thing, as his uh, time with the White Sox was longer than most, but not great either. Um, he had a 6-2-7 ERA uh, when he got sent down by the White Sox and designated for assignment. But in any case, what is he doing now? Well, how about we check old LinkedIn? Well, first of all, he has his education there, Palm Beach Gardens High School, class of 05, go Gators. I see a Gator logo in there um, because, of course, they're in Florida. And then he wrote professional athlete from 2005 to 2020, which means he hasn't stopped um, considering himself a professional athlete. But in any case, what is he doing now? He is the co-owner of Civil Society Brewing, a company in Jupiter, Florida, and I checked out their website. Their logo is a French uh, 
pug or French pit bull, whatever this is. I can't. It's a little dog wearing a tuxedo, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. And their beers look pretty good. Um, you go to the Our Story section, and it's simply put, beer chose us. Uh, Civil Society Baseball didn't it. choose them. That's right. It didn't. Um, Civil Society Brewing is all about the inspiration and the gratitude of friends and family. It is all about a passion for great beer, a pleasure in developing the craft, and an effectuate change in the community that has given us so much. Their merch is incredible, though, because it's this dog with this tuxedo on, and it just looks fantastic. <laughs> so I might have to get in on some of this merch. Um, in in true uh, brewery fashion, he's got a nice long beard, uh, and all of his buddies that he brews with are tattoo-sleeved all the way up and down with their beards as well. But in any case, good to see Chris Volstad is doing something he's actually good at. Haven't tasted the beer yet, so don't quote me on that. Uh, but in any case, that is the Cubs and kind of the White Sox LinkedIn player profile uh, of the week, Chris Volstad, beer man himself. Well, this is awkward because I had Chris Volstad. So I guess I'm, I guess we're done. Well, what's the question? No, but uh, honestly, I completely forgot he had pitched for the White Sox until you mentioned that. Like, I, I guess I just blocked that out of my memory. I wish I blocked Chris Volstead out of my Cubs memory, but I did attend one of his starts. Um, actually, Cooney I'm was sorry. with me. It was a freezing game, and we were pronouncing his name in a very German fashion, Chris Volstad, and he was not uh, <laughs> he was not doing well. I remember when they acquired him, it was like, first-round pick. He had a little trouble in Florida, but you know what? Maybe he has a comeback, and then he starts 0-6. I was like, this guy Never sucks. Good. Sucks. So hopefully the beer tastes better than his changeup. I would certainly hope so. Depends on who you're asking, though. I guess the batters thinks the changeup's pretty good. Yeah, and all tasty curveballs, too. <laughs> all right, in similar fashion, Pat, uh, I'm really excited about yours. Who do you got this week? So, yeah, with the White Sox back in the thick of a legitimate playoff race, I thought back to the last time the White Sox were in this situation, and I am going with Kevin Euclid, who was traded to the White Sox on June 24th, 2012, for Zach Stewart and Brent Lilleridge as a rental for, as I said, the last time the White Sox were in a legitimate playoff race. Obviously, Euclid had his greatest success with the Red Sox. He, uh, he played there for about nine years and made three all-star teams, won a gold glove, and won two World Serieses. Not going to spend too much time talking about that, except for the whole fact that in Moneyball, he was referred to as the Greek god of walks, despite never leading the league in walks. And um, not being Greek, by the way. Very true. He, I think they called him Euclid, uh, but... Uh, in any event, he did, the main thing was he didn't look like your prototypical baseball player. I think Terry Francona put it best. I've seen him in the shower, and I wouldn't call him the Greek god of anything. Uh, so a scathing review there from his former manager. <laughs> um, and then before I get to the White Sox part, like Wikipedia really goes in about him not looking like a baseball player. So this is just directly from Wikipedia. He excelled despite a physique that led many observers to underestimate his athletic ability. He was called roly-poly by his high school coach, Pudgy by his college coach, a, quote, fat kid by general manager Billy Bean, and a, quote, thicker-bodied guy by the Red Sox scout who recruited him. As Jackie McMullen wrote for the Boston Globe, he does not look like an MVP candidate. More a refrigerator repairman, a butcher, the man selling hammers behind the counter at, a, at the True Value hardware store. So, like, Jesus Christ, they are just going in on this guy. So much shade. Like, and I honestly, Everybody. I never thought he was fat, like, ever watching no. him play. He looked goofy. Yeah. Like, the, the batting stance with his hands up there, like, he had a shotgun point at the sky or something. Yeah, it looked yeah. weird, but they're like, this seems unnecessary. Yeah, that's brutal. Just, yeah, just not good. And, and no one goes after Bartolo. They love no. 
I no, it's funny. He's, be- he's a better athlete, you know. I'm just saying. Hey, he's, he was just too early for his time. Yeah, definitely. In any event, uh, now we'll move on to his White Sox career. And I must have been looking at it through really rose-colored glasses because I remember him being like this MVP candidate that almost saved the season, and he most certainly was not. Uh, looked really good at first, which is probably where I get it from, winning the AL Player of the Week in early July. But much like the White Sox playoff hopes that year, he faded late down the stretch. Overall, in 80 games, he hit 236 with a 346 OBP to go along with 15 homers, 47 RBIs, and a 1.6 war, which is good, but not like I thought he was like this incredible pickup, but I guess whatever, eight years has clouded my memory. Uh, went on to play for the Yankees in 2013 and only appeared in 28 games in what would be his last MLB season before playing for a couple of games for the Tohoki Rakuten Golden Eagles in Japan before retiring. Um, after baseball, he worked with a, as a scout slash consultant for the Cubs in 2015 um, and was also at spring training in 2020, which is suspiciously not mentioned on his LinkedIn page. So maybe he had a falling out with uh, Theo, his old, uh, old boss. So speaking of LinkedIn, what is he up to now? He is the owner of the Loma Brewing Company and Loma Coffee Company, and his picture on LinkedIn is a beautiful shot of him, you know, kind of awkwardly smiling at the camera uh, with his hand on the tap. So very classic brewery picture. Gotta love it. Um, his about is he that he retired from the greatest job ever and is looking to find new dreams and goals in life to obtain. Apparently, he founded an Loma Brewing Company. And in terms of experience, that's basically it. He's been there for a year and nine months now, um, and before that, owned just Loma Brewing Company. So I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. He owned the brewing company for about six years now and has owned the coffee spinoff for almost two years now. Outside of that, just got some education, Sycamore High School, University of Cincinnati. But yeah, uh, looks like all those predictions of him not looking like a baseball player and more like a butcher or a, you know, re- refrigerator repairman have really come to fruition because you would kind of put a brewer in that same ilk of like what they look like, and he's doing it. So living the dream, I guess. Yeah, so um, Loma, is that, it's got to be Lowell, Massachusetts, right? Is that where no, it's out of? No, uh, Los Gatos, California. I am very off on that one. <laughs> a little bit. But uh, Euclid is, so you know the Sam Adams commercials where they show the, the CEO like smelling beer in his face all the yep. time? The guy behind him stirring the pot with the big overalls, that's what Kevin Euclid <laughs> looks like. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm glad he's keeping himself busy. The, better, the more busy he is, the less he is on Twitter making terrible baseball <laughs> takes and just going after young baseball players saying, you didn't play, you don't know the game. Like, he talks about how much more everyone should be bunting all the time, and I'm just so sick of it. Or, like, you should never swing at a 3-0 count, because I never I agree. did in my career. Absolute monsters. Terrible just, people that do that. <laughs> just the worst. I'm so, I, I, I can't. I used to like him, but after his career ended and he was, like, done doing these crazy, like, batting stances and walking all the time, and then he just became an insufferable pissant. So I'm done with him. But anyway, we should have a beer tasting contest. Of Ooh, all, that'd like, be the, something. The athlete brewing like big herb <laughs> brew um there's uh there's a ron sano um there's like ron sano beer or something like that it's like 10 beer or something like that um there's also a beer called uh bleed your bum and it's like a peach flavored beer hmm. it gets it gets like a three out of ten it kind of sucks but i i bought it because it had a, a bleacher bum there you go it, so i guess they they fool me once i guess but it's like yeah, the goose think- island white Sox ones like that's just i see it i buy it yeah, I think we should have like uh, a Shoeless Goat podcast uh, beer tasting event with all the baseball-themed uh, beers and, I guess, former baseball brewing guys. Won't, it, won't have to convince me too hard. I'm already in. Or like, um, 
just Miller Lite to represent the. We should have <laughs> oh, we should have one beer represent each team, right? Oh, like God. the Miller Lite would be the Brewers, obviously. Or be, Milwaukee's best. I like this. Might not be uh, hey, might, might uh, not know where I am at the end of that, but hey, it sounds like fun. <laughs> I was gonna say we should, or dude, I'm getting excited now, right? Like American League beers versus National League beer. Oh, dude. Ooh. I'm so excited. Winner takes a shot of Malort. <laughs> I, I'm down. That sounds. Okay. I mean, that sounds like a hell of a prize. We we should live stream that too. Right? <laughs> I'm just saying, just just see the the degradation of brain cells in real time. Yeah, that that would be a tough scene. All right. And anyway, um, thank you for the LinkedIn player profile. As always, that ends our show. Uh, Pat, thank you for coming on. Um, I hope that the White Sox continue the success because it's good to see you smile every once in a while. It's um, nice to feel alive again. I, I, yeah. I, there's no other way to put it. The Cubs and the White Sox are both in first place. Does it get much better than that? Nope. No, it doesn't. It Not really in this city. So, Pat, we will end the episode like we always do with a question you haven't heard yet and one I think you'll really enjoy. Now that the White Sox have officially exceeded at least midseason expectations, how far do you see them going? That's tough because despite all of the optimism right now, I think if the, if the playoffs were to start today, they would be playing the Yankees, which right now would be fine, but you assume by then they have Judge, Stanton, all those guys back. What I am realistically expecting is a first-round playoff win, so they move on from the whatever wild card, whatever round you want to call it, to the ALDS. I think that's where it's going to be the real test. The fan in me wants to say they're going to get to the ALCS and then probably lose to a better team. I mean, just realistically speaking here, I obviously I want them to win it all, but I just it, it, that would be going a, a bit much out on a limb for me. So what I'm going to say is round one series – and then taking the ALDS to a basically to a deciding game five. I think it's best of five still. Maybe it's best seven. I don't know. I don't know how the playoffs work anymore. But that would basically be it. Round one win, round two to the brink, and then it's basically a coin flip whether they advance or not. That's what I'm, that's what I'm expecting how, based off how they're playing right now. Based on previous seasons, the AL, uh, NL and ALDS would be five games, so best of five if they kept that same format. But, yeah, so to follow up, what result would, be, would you consider the season a disappointment? Um, so yeah, to me, obviously not making the playoffs, but that seems like it's off the table to me. Disappointment would be getting to that first round and getting like, just, just getting bounced one and done. Like that would suck. Especially if, if you win the division and it happens, like you get matched up with the Astros who are catching fire. It's one thing, but if they were to like drop to like the seven seed and get bounced round one, like that would be terrible. Like that to me would be you. I want them to be one of the actual playoff teams. So three division winners, two wild cards. I, that, that's the first thing. Second thing is, yeah, I just I want them to win that first round. If they win the division and lose in the first round in a tough series, it's whatever. But I would say, yeah, low seed getting bounced easily for round one would be a disappointment. I know you're in playoff mode because you already know who they're going to play if the season ended today. I have no idea who the Cubs would play. But uh, similar expectations. I want them to appear in the division series. Obviously, I want them to win the whole thing. That's I mean, It's a given. But a division series victory and a, uh, you know, likely puts you up against the Dodgers yeah. or the Braves or something like that. If you lose to them to not get into the World Series, doesn't mean you had a bad season, but nope. obviously it still stinks. Uh, but that's my expectations for the Cubs, or at least hopes for the Cubs, yeah. as they hold on to a two-and-a-half, current, current as we record, two-and-a-half game lead in the division. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, that concludes our episode. 
Pat, thanks again as always. And remember, everyone, uh, you can check us out at uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you check out podcasts. Check out our writing, too. Um, but remember, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go MLB. Have a great week.